The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to Super Skull Vault of Midnight's New Comic Day Weekly Audio Digest, recorded somewhere at some point for some people. My name is Nick Wybar. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. I'm the Johnny Appleseed of Radishes. And I am Curtis Crazy Dog Sullivan. You're just letting the crazy dog cat right out of the... The crazy dog cat, you're letting it right out of the bag. Right out of the cat bag. Can we talk about your restaurant concept? We can, briefly. Crazy dogs. Crazy dogs. With a Z. Uh-huh. Each dog is crazier than the one before it. Correct. It's a pop-up. Maybe. Maybe. It's a food cart. Maybe. Uh-huh. We feature crazy-ass hot dogs. Uh-huh. Our mascot is a dog that's just totally crazy. Maybe in a straitjacket. Yes. So it's like a cartoon dog, and he's nuts. Yes. But I think, so my idea, and I can't tell if Curtis likes it, is that we we make it at we lean into the mental illness aspect of it. Right. Res- respectfully. Of course. In a respectful way. You don't want to make light of mental illness. It's very serious. And you don't, but maybe it looks like a commercial for a medication, and we have like a beautiful vista in mm-hmm. the distance, mm-hmm. and we have a, a young... field. Yeah, and we have a young man like sitting on a rock at a river, and he like looks up and everything, and he realizes that maybe everything can be okay. With a crazy dog. Crazy dogs. But then it comes in like really hot and like, crazy dogs! Just an idea. Just, just kicking. I want to know what's on these dogs. We got a, uh, we got a very. I think we have a crazy dog show for you today. Um, we got a good news roundup. We mm-hmm. got some, we got some big picks, as is our want. We have a board game review, and we have a super secret surprise interview. That's a secret. For it's now, it's so secret. It's a full docket. It is. Marcus, um, you are still farming. I'm in love with it. I was out. I was up early this morning harvesting I, radishes. I went into the um, alley of Vault of Midnight to smoke a tobacco cigarette, mm-hmm. and Marcus was back there unloading vegetables into a local restaurant. Yeah, that he was selling from his farm. Yeah, to a local restaurant. I'm in love with it. That, I, that's so Lamarcus. Thanks, man. No, yeah, I got up early. I, uh, radishes are are hot right now. They're ripe to pick. They're they're hot. They're also very spicy. They are very spicy. Yeah. So I, uh, today I did a big harvest of French breakfast radishes. Ooh. And uh, picked some mustard greens as well. So yeah, it's a uh, it's it's been a it's great. We sampled them and they were wonderful. I'm glad you like them. They had a little bit of a little bit of bite to them. Yeah. So I have this idea where I can prim- I have one? Yeah, of course, right here. I got a bag of them in the studio right now. There you go. I uh, I got this idea where I press these radishes, take the juice, concentrate it, and then you just Ooh, that was nice. Those are they're crisp. They are. They're quite crunchy. Do you guys hear it? Yeah. Well, I'll do another one. Yeah, those are my radishes. And then you take that oil and you put it in a Bloody Mary. Something oh. I'm thinking about. Something Ooh. I'm thinking about. Yep. You guys are just giving away all the culinary secrets. But uh, I'm very <laughs> excited because I think next week, guys, I think next week my tomato plants are going to explode. I can oh, really? see they're they're prime right now. So very excited. More more updates on my. Mundane farming to come. This is really turning um, my whole thought process around on your farming. Yeah. I'm in love with these radishes. They're so good. They're he's crazy good. He's crazy for those radishes. Like, um, yeah, Margaret Farmer, whatever. <laughs> he has a garden. 
but I saw you today selling your produce yeah. to a local place, and now I'm I'm eating your stock. Yeah, your crop. It's good. I sp- it's, it's pretty wonderful. It's I saw a photo of your your garden. Yeah, it's quite impressive. Thank you so I much. I am gonna say it looked very farmery. Shit is real. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort, but right now it is my favorite thing. It's about it's these just these radishes though don't pair well with coffee. That oh. I can imagine. Can I tell you that? The bitter hot. Yeah. yeah. Probably not a good. Oh, I'm feeling weird. <laughs> <laughs> my mouth feels um, weird. Yeah, but uh, radishes, man. I, I you're gonna have to stop complaining about getting up early, though, if you're gonna be a farmer. Right. I got to get over it. It's my that, biggest hurdle. That's what farmers do. Right. They get up early. You get up early. But uh, are you co- gonna, are you gonna get a rooster app? Do you think on your phone? Oh, maybe that's a really good idea. Can you know? Can you get a real rooster? Um, there are talks about converting what was the changing room for the one-room schoolhouse, because the house I live in used to be a one-room schoolhouse, okay. into a chicken coop. There's conversations uh-huh. about that getting made. Chickens, uh... You can't s- have a rooster, though, in there. Why not? I don't... I think that's bad. Oh, right. I mean... There's I, lots of rooster rules. Yeah. I have to look into it. I know I nothing know about chicken keeping, uh, other than it's it's very potent smell. Mm-hmm. So I got to make a commitment to that. But fresh eggs sound wonderful. Are they noisy? In my mind, like a room full of chickens is just like probably loud. But I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. You don't let them in the house, though. Definitely not. Chickens can't go in the house. It's we just not done. We can record from the chicken coop. I don't know if point. we want to do like, that. Wah, 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 wah. That was but chicken coop noises for you guys. Yeah. If anyone, any listeners want a radish, in all seriousness, let me know. We'll mail you a radish. I was not into radishes four weeks ago, but right now they are my. I eat. Many of them a day, and I wasn't into radishes game. an hour ago, yeah. and I'm fucking all about this shit. Yeah, they're great. Thanks so much tasty. for the support. Yeah, lovely. Good on you, Farmer Marcus. Thanks, I'm gonna man. keep crunching these radishes. Do it. They're great. I, how does it listen? Does it listen well? well? Yeah, <laughs> so it, it it'll get old. No. Quickly. No. Rachel's not into it. Speaking of Rachel, nope. um, Rachel was cool enough to. Sorry, I'm still <laughs> chewing radish. <laughs> Rachel was cool enough to be on the podcast last week. I think it was where Nick was going with this. It was fantastic. And uh, you did a great job, Rachel. Aw, thanks. Um, and the But everybody now wants you to be on the podcast all the time. Yep. I have no complaints. We have uh, a lot of people. Because oh, here's the problem with this, is that like we are eminently replaceable. Absolutely. Oh, no question. So fast. This is the problem. So... I think what we need to do is stop having qualified people sit in for us yeah. mm-hmm. because the jig's going to be up, fellas. Rachel, no. Rachel could literally S- put us out to pasture. Circle the wagons. Yep. Yeah. You I know. think we need to double down yeah. on our shitty voices. Mm-hmm. Hey, Marcus, did you listen to last week's episode? Uh, Outstanding. No. <laughs> I just want to say that I think that you smell lovely. I'm confused. Well, but well, you'd know fine. if you that's had fine. listened to the, the podcast that Sorry, you're I've been on. Trying to Anywho, um, <laughs> the thing. So next week we're gonna have Rachel back on the podcast for we our are? episode 99. Rachel, do you want to be on the podcast next week? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent for episode 99, which we think is probably 99. I think we're. It definitely is. I think we're Curtis Sullivan style keeping track of the numbers well. at this point. So we're gonna call it 99-ish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just noticed it is when I took a week off and Rachel sat in, we didn't get a, a whole slew of compliments about what a great job Rachel did. But then the week that oh. Marcus was gone, it, we just can't get enough of how ho, what, ho, ho. what a huge improvement it was. This thought was really interesting. <laughs> I, I I fully admit I am replaceable, but I hope you don't replace me because I love doing the podcast with you, dudes. I thought it was a solid episode too. I solid, really like solid it. Solid ep. Yeah, epsies. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. 
Um, and then before we move on, I just wanted to wish you both a hepper, happy Millar Day. Oh, thank you. June yeah. 29th is Millar Day, as everybody knows. Now and forever. Yeah, which is an anniversary of what? Well, like Jupiter's Legacy came out today. It was. A, it's a comic that released today, and we were told by Image Comics that uh, it is Millar Day. Officially. I guarantee you he mandated in a contract somewhere that Image Comics creates Look, a holiday based after him. We're all living in Millar world. And uh, that's just how it's going to be. We're living in Woo's world. We're living in Millar world. Everybody recognize. Um, so not only is June 29th Millar Day, but but it's also... Oh, so I was hoping to milk something funny out of what else June 29th is, but this is what happens when you think of a joke in the moment and then, and then try to back it up on Wikipedia. Not good. Mm. Not good. So on Millar Day, we are allowed to make a display of Mark Miller comics. Yep. Advertise it to the world, and then if we're lucky, he'll do a Skype interview at our shop. Mm-hmm. I yeah. hope <sighs> he would bring along Frank quietly. He though. would bring along Frank quietly. So that's not nothing. the internet's very complicated. Lots of things happen when you try to do Skype interviews. Maybe Frank quietly shows up on the tubes. Mc Mark Miller gets lost in translation. He's a busy guy, though. He's got a million commitments. You Mark know, Miller is. Mar Mark Miller bringing his wonderful creations to the people. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, yeah. So there it is. I'm reading Chrononauts today in honor. I just think it's weird that nobody else gets a day when they're still alive or yeah. they're not a superhero. Yeah. Like, what? Wh who else gets a, a living day? It's like, it's... Nick Wybar Day. Doesn't happen. Today it doesn't is, happen. you're going to share it with Mark Millar? I'm not comparing it. I'm not comparing myself to Mark Millar because... How dare you? Lord knows. You but wouldn't. I'm just saying, like, who else gets that? Nobody else gets that honor. Maybe we'll get a street now. Is the next step a, a street or He's a boulevard? He Millar World he Boulevard. absolutely has earned it. If it's not in the heart of New York City, it's not just. It's got to be, like, L.A., right? You think? Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yep. Have I ever told you guys about Wybar World? No, I would Please. love to hear about it. My, my fictional universe? Yeah. Go ahead. I'll tell you about it offline. Okay. All Fine. ceilings are seven feet tall. Uh, in the news this week, we had just a couple of items that you. <laughs> oh, they. That was a short joke. Oh, I almost blew right <laughs> by <laughs> it. You were just kept on going. Oh, man, I almost missed it. <laughs> just sit and soak that up for a second. That sweet short joke. <laughs> Curtis's face was just like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> Don't uh, poke the bear. <laughs> Don't poke the bear. <laughs> I was at the shop. What were we listening to? Uh, it was an Ann Arbor. It was like right after I started. And um, who's the dude? Randy Newman, Short People, that song oh, comes yeah, on. Yeah, it yeah. comes on the radio. And I'm, oh, at no. the, I'm at the register, and Curtis and somebody's on the other side of the store. And I could hear Curtis furiously whisper from across the store, Turn that off. Nick's going to hear it. Turn it off quick. <laughs> you know, you think you're helping sometimes, really. You know what I mean? You think you're helping... <laughs> And you're just not. I'll and that's the thing to remember. Oh, so good. In the news this week, um, we have, what, what do you got for us, Marcus? Alpha Flight? Some Alpha Flight news? Yeah. That, let, please, we're on the edge of our seat for <laughs> Alpha Flight So news. I find this really interesting. Every once in a while, comics will put real live people into their books. And they did this with Barack Obama. There's a pretty famous uh, cover of him and Spider-Man. Um, uh, Stephen Colbert got a Captain America one where he is the Falcon. And the, the latest rendition of this is the new Canadian Prime Minister, Justin T 
Trudeau. 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 Thank you. This shows you how much I pay attention to Canadian. Co- it, gonna it teaches you that you shouldn't make fun of people when they misspeak is what it should <laughs> fucking enough. teach you. Uh, he's going to be in an issue of Alpha Flight written by Chip Zdarsky. I'm in love with this. There's a variant cover of him. He's in a boxing ring. He's got the gloves on and he's wearing a uh, boxing uniform that's got a big maple flag in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And the plot behind it is Alpha. something is going to happen to Alpha Flight and they're going to have to reset their moral compass. And being the <gasps> Canadian superhero team, they're going to go meet the prime minister, which I think is just really cool. Well, let me ask you this: yep. in, on the cover, he has—he appears to have a tattoo on his shoulder, on yeah. his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. Tr- Justin Trudeau does. Yes. Yeah. Is that real or is that just for the comic book? No idea. People love this Justin Trudeau guy. Though. He's a cool guy. I've read a is few he a cool things. Guy? He seems like the best. I don't know yeah. shit about him. But he seems I just, like I, a, I, I try to zone out every time he's mentioned. Yeah. Well. He, he seems like a very forward-thinking, smart. Dude, well, so he'll probably get nowhere and you know ran out of office. He also yeah. seems yeah. to be uh, into comics. He recently penned a letter to Captain Canuck for Canada Day, That's pretty talking cute. about how cool Captain Canuck is, and oh, and I love Captain Canuck. It's on my poll. Um, you get I, two copies of that bad boy. I get two copies, one of to read and one to keep mint in package. I actually have a buddy who lives in Canada. I'm going to mail him all twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not only that, but Lone Wolf and Cub has been opted for a um, English language film. It has produced in Hollywood. Correct. We think. Um, so that's, so that's really all we have to report on that. That is happening. It's from the producer of Ghost Rider. Well, also Ghost in the Shell, which mm. we I get I didn't see. Did it come out? No, no, not out yet. Not out yet. But okay. it does have, uh, you know, Black Widow in that movie. Scarlett Johansson. That's Scarlett Johansson. Ghost in the Shell does. Correct. Not. Oh man, I would watch Scarlett Johansson as Ogami Ito, the Lone Wolf mm. of Lone Wolf and No Club. problem. Oh, that's she could play Daigoro. She could be the little baby. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> Anyways, through the magic of modern film, they can make it happen. Yeah. So um, what we don't know is, is it is it going to be all white people? That's what we wonder. We don't know. So the other interesting thing about this license is they get the rights to Lone Wolf and Cub and any sequels. So they could take it in a, a weird direction if they want to. Aha. Mm. Um, they just get the rights to that universe. This thing has been milked so thoroughly, Lone Wolf and Cub, and they've done a really good job of milking it. It's been a comic, it's been a TV show, it's been a movie. The movies are fantastic. True. The TV show has moments of being Pretty fantastic. Good. Yeah. Um, but I, it seems kind of weird that we're we're going back to the well on it. But I'm not surprised in any way. Right. Yeah, and for an English audience, it might still have some some legs. Yeah, it's one of my favorite franchises in all its forms. Me so, too. Uh, it'll be, well, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. You know, we'll see. Do you have a pick for the star of that movie? Oh, I don't even know who it. I'm who thinking Cuba Gooding Jr. What do you think? For, for Ogami Ito. Yeah, I think Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh. would just destroy that role. He'd be so good. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. It's pretty good. Um, Let's do some big picks. Let's do it. Big oh picks. Big goodness. picks. Big picks. There are, um, there are, there's a comic book, there's a movie, and there's a TV show for Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm-hmm. And, um... And, I, g- and the, I got nothing. These are the comics based on the video game. Yes. Based on the movie. Yeah. I was trying to go into the well for a uh, for an analogy to draw us into big picks, but I reached down and there was nothing there, there was today. Uh, the well was dry. If something does come up, though, I'm just going to interrupt you guys whenever you're talking and just I'll just chime in with it. How about that? Oh, Sounds as great. per the usual. Cool. Marcus, what was your big pick? My big pick this week is Hillbilly by Eric Powell. This is put out by... Uh, blah, blah, blah. This is put out by Albatross. 
uh, which, uh, as Curtis informed me today, is uh, Eric Powell's creator-owned comic imprint. It's his own publishing house, yes. It's his own publishing house. What do I like about Hillbilly, Nick asks. Well, Nick, um, I find Hillbilly to be a nice mix of kind of classic horror and uh, you can definitely tell that Eric Powell has played just an insane amount of Dungeons and Dragons. In my mind, he has. It's anyways. got a, it's got a lot of good lore in it. Um, but Hillbilly is about this kind of traveling witch hunter and his bear companion, and they're going. It's kind of a colonial setting. Dare I dare I say? Yeah, I wonder. It's very swampy. Yeah, you know, it's Bayou Country mm-hmm. somewheres. And he is he is uh, a young boy goes past the boundary. Where, where children are not supposed to travel mm-hmm. and encounters a witch. And Hillbilly comes t- kind of to the rescue. But he's not your, your standard hero. He's, he's w- gruff. He uh, looks like maybe he has not bathed in the river for a while. And he carries a giant meat cleaver as his weapon of choice. From Satan's own kitchen. From Satan's own kitchen. That's pretty good. It's very good. Um, but the the real the thing that makes it a real home run for me is Eric Powell's art on this book is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's done in kind of a uh, gray tone with spurts of color when he really wants to bring attention to something. May yeah, I interject? He really, he really punches up some panels. He does. It's 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 not even that simple. Like he's doing stuff with color in this book that is so weird. So he's doing sepia tone stuff. He's doing black and white stuff. He is doing a color. He'll do a panel where the whole background of the panel is a, like a stark color, like a primary Orange color. Orange or red. Yeah. Um, the color on this just stuck out to me so much because that's the thing that we've seen is very simple colors where one element of the of the image is like stands out, right? A black and white thing with very red strawberries. Like we've seen that a million times. I've not seen anybody do color the way that he's doing it in this book. And yeah. I think it's really neat. It's it, it it brought the whole book together for me. And his art style is just uh it, it's it's like r- sketchy and yeah. pencil-y, Except it's like when it watercolored. Like yep. some some of them are very intense and Super very tight. meticulous and yep. detailed. But without if this word was if this book was completely wordless and you were just looking at his art style, you would get such a good grasp for the world that you're in, and and it's got a lot of similarities to our world. But but his art style shows you that you're someplace different. You're experiencing something that you wouldn't normally experience in your everyday life. And at the beginning of the book, you you get that grasp immediately, even though the things that are happening in the first few pages are just kind of your everyday. A boy is going fishing. But because of his art style, you know you're in kind of a alternate whimsical place. Mm-hmm. Uh, whimsical might not be the right word. It's it's a little gothic in nature. Is probably a better way to describe it. But man, I thought this book was a ton of fun. It's got just uh, some really great fantasy elements, big, bigger than life creatures. It's got some really interesting witch culture and in kind of Satan culture wrapped the, up into the it. The lore, the lore behind it. Satan culture. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot of <laughs> hell stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um. And as far as like a little adventure story go, they set up the backdrop for the main character really well in this first issue and just leave me wanting so much more about what is happening, what's going on with this character, and what kind of uh, interesting adventure is he going to get into next. I thought the gothic elements in it were just really on point, um, and his art style lends to that style of storytelling. I like the fact that uh, you get a couple different takes on reality because people are telling stories. Mm-hmm. So it had that cool element of as the young boy that he rescues from fishing is telling his version of events, uh, it, it varies from, yeah. from other tellings and Hillbilly's own telling of the tale. I love that when that happens. You know? It's like kind of what they're doing a little bit in Wonder Woman where, you know, whoever's telling the story is kind of 
adding or taking away their own little sure. flavor and informing the thing. So that was super cool. I like the idea that Satan, no matter what he touches, becomes like a hell tool. Yeah. And the, the thought of Satan in a kitchen, and every utensil in his kitchen is a, you it's know. The devil's strainer. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. The <laughs> devil's colander. Yeah. Did you have an item in, or an item? I sound like like I'm playing D and D, but um, they do have an object in this book called the Devil's Ladle, it's and it's <laughs> a soup ladle, and it can destroy any undead that it touches. It's so fucking it's hysterical. Really well thought out and very yeah. clever. Um, and it's just I had an absolute blast with it. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Hill- Hillbilly number one. Other stuff I read just real quick that I thought was really great. Dear Devil Punisher, um, by Charles Soule keeps uh, being my favorite Punisher book out right now. Uh, it's it's just really phenomenal. That's and then, issue two of that bad boy. That's right. And then if you're not reading Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis, issue five came out this week. Mm-hmm. This book is probably my favorite Marvel book right now. I'm just absolutely in love with it. Miles Morales has fit into this universe uh, since Secret Wars so well. It's just my, it's a joy to read every time I pick it up. And, and I think Sarah Pacelli's art, for my two cents, is some of the crispest and cleanest tightest art in all of comics that lady can draw her ass off everything is tight her backgrounds her cars her costumes every character it looks like a character like miles has a very he just looks like miles morales he doesn't look like another character yeah i love it and in this issue uh miles kind of discovers we're we're exploring a new power which i always think is kind of interesting something that's totally different than anything peter parker can do so I like that there, as the story of Miles continues, he becomes uh, more he, and more a different Spider-Man. He can't whine anymore? He cannot whine. There's no more whining. You mm. figured it out, Nick. How's his cheese, though? Can he still cheese? Actually, there's a little thing in this about uh, he like wraps some bad guys up in web, and the cop's like, man, if like Spider-Man would have done this, he would have left us a, a whimsy note. But Miles Morales doesn't have time for that. He's a busy kid. Move, He's got homework to on. do. Yeah. Got it. I um, notice also sitting in front of you that you have Captain America... Steve Rogers, Captain America number two. Yeah, do you want to talk about that now? I, what do you What did you think of it? I thought it was a pretty big letdown. I so well, I, let's back up a little yeah. bit. Yeah, let's back up <laughs> just a hair. All right, I'm ready. I'm g- g- grease Satan's ladle. I'm ready for the beating. Here we so, go. So uh, how what? So did it? Do you still feel like you were betrayed by all of comics? No. Do you feel justified in your vitriol and your anger? Was Nick right? So go I ahead. Hold on a second. Was Nick right? Marcus? Yes. Nick, Nick was right. Oh. <laughs> I admit, I jumped on the internet hype train. In fact, dare I say, I was the conductor for a little while. Uh huh. Um, yeah. So they they reveal the whole Captain America Hydra thing in issue two. It's and it wasn't that big a fucking deal, no, was it? It's a pretty it? big letdown. I wish they would have let the hype train keep going for a little bit longer. I wanted Nick Spencer to keep fucking with. The yeah. whole everybody. Yeah. So there's there's two different que- there's two different things to talk about here. The first is that we we were the th- stuff that we talked about last time holds water and it's a fucking comic book and it's a guy that has been writing comic books for a long time and he knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. And that was accurate. And and a lot of people, gosh darn them, who don't read comics picked up on this comic, probably didn't even read it, just read people talking about this comic. Yep. And if they had read the many months of comics, Captain America comics, Pleasant Hill crossover, any of this shit leading up to Captain America number one, yeah, it's all right there. Yeah, it's all there for you. It's ripe for the. And I think we should all picking. just. I think we should all just take that to heart. And the next time we want to yell about a comic book on the internet, I think we should all just fucking just think about Captain America number one and just remember that. 
yeah. going forward. So that's that's thing number one. Yep. Marcus, I accept your apology. Thing number two is that the way that they did it was I really wish that they would have stretched it out yeah. a lot longer. Man, go a year. Just have people yeah. crying about it. And Just is this nonsense to folks? So this is, again, we're talking about the end of Captain America, Steve Rogers' Captain America number one, when Captain America says, Hail Hydra at the end of the issue, and the internet um, crawled up its own uh, rear end and exploded mm-hmm. within yeah. itself. Yep. Um, and we find out in this number two issue that, yeah, guess what? Captain America is not a Nazi. Like He's reasons. not a member of yes. Hydra. There are very good reasons for it. Um, I personally thought those reasons were real silly yeah. and not that satisfying, um, though they are steeped in all of the other stuff that was going on yep. in Captain America. Yep. And also, I mean, I have to, this, is t- this is tough to do because I don't want to ruin all of it, but they basically, like, I don't really buy that this is actually what was intended when, how to talk about this. Basically, in this issue, they explain a lot of previous events that have been happening in the Marvel Universe and in Captain America. Correct. And explained them away because this thing was happening the whole time and you didn't know about it. Right. And uh, I don't buy that that was the intent of those original issues, even a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all there in Pleasant Hill. I mean, like, I was reading this issue and be like, oh, yeah, right, right, that did happen. That did happen, you know, uh, with the, you know, so essentially Pleasant Hill is they use a cosmic cube, mm-hmm. right? This is a crossover Marvel did, uh, you know, three, four months ago. And they use a cosmic cube to trick all these criminals into thinking they're different people. They create a kind of a fake reality, and they all live in a nice, perfect little small town. And, yeah. You know, Kang the Conqueror and all these Dastardly villains are like the local produce guy and the local farmer with his beets. Yeah. And then it all goes tits up and, you know, they find out and Captain America at the end is like touched by the cosmic cube. And that's how he gets to be, you know, he was old Steve Rogers. That's more Marvel continuity back there. The more we talk about this, the more nonsense it sounds like. Yeah, but but it's all there, you know, at the end of the day. It's all there, but they're saying that, like, all of that stuff, while all that was happening, and they explained it all and had a whole plot running for all of that very, already in itself, complicated, convoluted shit. Sure. They've made it even more convoluted by saying, like, oh, no, this was secretly happening the entire time, and you didn't know it. Right. So you think they're piggybacking off the plot a little bit? I just think it's kind of half-assed. Yeah, I really wish they would have dragged it out. I was pretty rattled about it, and I, in hindsight, I kind of wish I would have continued to be rattled yeah. about it. Yeah, me too, because you know exactly. I mean? it's interesting. It's interesting, and now like I finished that issue, and I was like, The stakes right. are gone. The, yeah. there are, there are, the stakes have been completely dropped to the floor, and it's I don't care anymore right. about Captain America being in Hydra because we've completely taken any like actual emotional impact of that completely off the table. My, my Un- unless he stays brainwashed which is probably going to be which the case of course and he won't in the long term in the long term but i mean in the in the next you know six months term yeah. or whatever hopefully like some crazy shit happens and then steve you know there's ramifications like i did all this crazy shit when i was under the thrall of the cosmic cube or whatever yeah, yeah I just, you know? i've seen that before we've seen brainwashed superheroes yeah i just like my urge to pick up captain america number three right now is Miles lower yeah. than picking up number two. Yeah. Yep. But of course, the absolute most important thing is that I was right and that Marcus was wrong. You're right. That's what we should take away from all That's of this. The, I Out of all of if this. there's anything else to take away from it. Yep. And my take on it is I still enjoyed this comic and I'm going to be back you for enjoyed number it? three. You enjoyed I did. I absolutely comic. did. Okay. Absolutely. I think you're full of bananas. Nope. I totally dug it and uh, I thought it was weird enough and oddball enough. My only bitch is, man, they should have just kept people on the hook longer. Yeah. Immediately, four pages in this book, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. 
you know, they popped the popped the balloon too early. Yep. Right. And uh, you know, it makes me think of Superior Spider-Man when Doc Ock took over Spider-Man. I lost my shit. Everyone went crazy. What the hell is going on? This is another crazy thing that happened in comics where people went nuts. S- Peter Parker's trapped in old dying Doc Ock. Doc mm-hmm. Ock's mind is in Peter Parker. It's totally wild. It fucking ruled, and they kept it going for like two years, and it was totally badass. Yep. So, um, as controversial as that was, I think they could they could have milked this cow a little longer, and they chose not to. There you go. So there you go, Captain America. Steve Rogers, Captain America, number, number two. two. Curtis, what was your pick this week? My big pick in honor of Mark Millar World Day is uh, Jupiter's Legacy 2, number one. Happy Miller World Day to you. You as well, sir, and you, LaMarcus. Thank you. Uh, I love this book. I love the previous two volumes. There's been two volumes so far, and I'm going to go real fast through this stuff. Jupiter's Legacy is about the gold, the birth of the golden age of superheroes. It's a bunch of kind of... Fake s- superheroes. I'm sorry, by fake... I mean, they're all fake. But by fake superheroes, it's not superheroes that we already know. They're, it's not your Supermans who are actually the Golden Age dudes. It's, they are invented for this universe. Correct. Yes, this is the birth of, uh, of a different Golden Age. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, so this is in the 30s and the 40s, Great Depression era. Um, these uh, adventurers, if you will, these Doc Savage type industrialists and uh, world traveling adventurers find this island. They get superpowers they become the first superheroes Mm -hmm. they reinvent the world it's really really great until their shitty little kids grow up and become petulant little bastards and overthrow the old guard because they're too hokey and old-timey and these new anti-hero dipshits know what's right and it's really brutal and ugly and kind of a dark book Um, it starts off on this incredibly fun upbeat kind of adventure superhero comic and ends in this great betrayal in this dark world. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really dug it. Uh, the second volume is uh, the next generation of heroes living through uh, the McCarthy era presidency. Uh, it's a huge bummer. And then now here we find ourselves at Jupiter's Legacy Wait, 2. McCarthy is the president? Correct. In that universe? In the, in the second volume. Shit. I okay. know. So it's rough. And then we've got uh, Jupiter's Legacy 2. This is... A little more optimistic first issue. It's a slap a dash action movie. Mm-hmm. Big budget superheroes flying, fighting stuff. This is about sort of what's left of the good heroes. It's children breaking people out of jail and reforming a team. Sort of a bunch of kind of half-assed supervillains and uh, putting putting a team together to take down the the mean kid yeah. superheroes. So I, w- I read this and was... I was not current. I did not read the one before the volume before this, mm-hmm. and didn't really know what was going on. Yeah, and as soon as you said that to me, I was like, "Oh no!" I had the exact opposite of opinion, and I was like, "This would be a great place to jump on for folks." But yeah, and it's an issue one. That. But mm-hmm. um, and I because I thought I could just jump in because you know. But yeah, I had I had a little bit of trouble, so it's probably worth reading going back to to the older stuff. It made me re want to uh, read Jupiter's Legacy one, mm-hmm. which I love, and you know that's in no small part to the art by Frank Quietly. Frank Quietly gets me through this book. Oh, boy, it's good. Oh, yeah. the art is just so tremendously on point. He frames stuff in a way where you, you just can... He doesn't do action lines or onomatopoeias. There's no sound effects in this one. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, Rachel would not like that. Rachel would hate it. Um, that said, you still get a sense of speed and power and shit happening because he has these great kinetic detailed drawings. Super, super detailed. Uh, everybody's got weird powers in this universe, and I like it. You know, it's not your standard just I'm strong or I have laser eyes. I I freaking loved it. And uh, this book was a little more optimistic, a little more fun than the previous two volumes, which was a welcome uh, departure. So 
Jupiter's Legacy 2, Issue 1. And you picked it because Mark Miller told Image Comics to tell you to pick it. They did. Right? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes, this has been a paid endorsement. Yeah, absolutely. Just kidding. I do love Mark Millar, and I'm happy to celebrate him in all his glory on his day. But uh, this was a damn fine comic. Excellent. Check it out. Uh, The color was great, too. Um, I also like this week two books from Black Mass Studios. Jade Street Protection Services, which is uh, a Magical Girl Academy, uh, Evil Teacher. Uh, it was awesome. And Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, issue number two, finally out after much delays. This is about a dad whose kids find out maybe he used to be a bank robber when some bad guys come to the house. Cool. Cool comics. And that's all I got. Nick, what's your big pick of the week? I'll be very brief. My pick is The Vision Volume 1, which finally released, Little Worse Than Man. Um... Marcus, you got to read this for the first time because it, it certainly was, did. It was a tough book to recommend. It was hard it, to get. It was uh, perennially out of print. They did not do a bunch of printings of this book, even though it was like pretty critically acclaimed. Yeah, and people, the people that were reading it, were loving it, but we just couldn't get it to put in people's hands. Yeah, I think by the time I started to really hear about it, we were on issue like two or three, and one was totally unavailable. Two was totally unavailable. I really liked it. It it does something. It does that really. Uh, you hone in on a character. And what their day-to-day is. Essentially, Vision creates a family for himself, and they move to suburbia. Yeah, he he erases a lot of like emotional touch points from his mind. Yeah. And in an attempt to become more human, he builds himself a family, moves that family out to the suburbs, and tries to approximate uh, humanity, and tries to approximate the human emotional experience. Yeah. Uh, but he's very, very much not a human, um, but really is in, in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, but he analyzes his approach to, you know, uh, to his emotions like a computer would. Right. And as does his whole family. Um, and it is just so goddamn good. The the relationships between these characters as family members work so well. The little human moments of them interacting with neighbors, for instance, or with their school or with whatever. Um, but in spite of all, so it's like, it's a co- it's the to me this comic is the future of a certain type of superhero comic because it is soaked in marvel shit. Oh, There's so yeah. much yep. backstory and connection points and, and Tom King references them in the smartest fucking ways. There's this really great issue where the Vision is talking to the principal of the high school where his kid just got in trouble. Right. And he's go- as he's talking to him, he's going through all the times he saved the world. And they're all things that have actually happened in the Marvel universe in continuity. And they're in continuity yep. and it's informing this character and it's making the story better, but it's weird ass comic shit and it's also at the same time these very close to home like uh, what would you call it? More pretentious type character-focused moments that you you know you you expect out of your graphic novels or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect mix of those two things. Yeah, I say pretentious lovingly. I hope that's absolutely given at this no, point. No, we got it. Um, it uh, and the art also from Gabriel Hernandez Walta um, is fantastic. This Love guy it. worked on Magneto and Astonishing X Men. But yeah, I I tr- I really really think that this is. This is how we can get people that don't read superhero comics to read superhero comics and then get engaged in a, in the continuity. Does it have a number one on its spine? It does. See, this is what I wonder is because we know it's a limited run. It's going to be two volumes. Two volumes and done. Twelve issues. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a phenomenal book. It's it's unlike anything I'm reading right now. Um, I was just, I, I lost the world around me while I was reading it. Yeah. I was in nowhere else but inside that graphic novel. Yep. The, the dialogue 
kills in this book. I mean, that's for me, everything is great, uh, but Tom King is writing the shit out of these characters. Yep. You just believe it. You believe the sincerity of him wanting to be a person, of trying very, very hard. The earnestness of vision and what he's trying to do is there. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this kind of stilted sort of a robotic sort of a analytical thing that somehow he is folding those things together and just the best dialogue. His, his talks with his wife in the first issue are among the best dialogue I've read in comics in, like, I don't even know how long. It's it, fucking unbelievable. It's, it's yep. unbelievable. Um, I can go on and on, but finally you can read this book because finally it's available as a as a book, as a graphic novel, uh, one through six, from Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez, Walta, and Jordi Belair on the color. Oh, on the, what? The coloring. Vision number one. Um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, our very special surprise interview. We're here with Curtis Sullivan, the Eisner Award-winning proprietor of Vault of Midnight, only days before the shop's 20th anniversary. Sullivan is a celebrated businessman and ambassador for the comic book industry. He's one of my best friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Curtis. Wow. What a great intro. Thank you, Nick, for having me on the Super Skull Show podcast. This is your first time uh, guesting on the Super Skull Show for an interview. It is, and I am very happy to join you fine gentlemen today. I don't know why it took us so long to put it together. I don't know either. Curtis, uh, you opened a comic book shop in 1996. Mm -hmm. This is a dark time for comics. Oh, the darkest. Uh, Why did you want to do this? You know, when I think about it, I'm asked this question from time to time, and when I think about it, I can't come up with a really great answer. That's fantastic for for an interview. What I'm going to say now is uh, a a dude, uh, the thing that sticks out the most is I had this dude in my life who uh, was sort of a jerk, and he one time said, shut the fuck up and open a comic shop, you nerd. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to do it. And that was really the catalyst. We had, like, uh, I basically had a comic shop in... My house had comics on the walls and toys everywhere and stuff. Mm-hmm. We'd be like, maybe we should open a comic shop. And this dude was like sick of hearing it, apparently. And how old were you at this point? I was probably the ripe old age of 19. 19 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and what is, paint us a picture of of your life at this point. I was a restaurant worker. I worked at Ruby Tuesdays mm-hmm. uh, from, uh, I guess that was for 10 years. So, you know, 16 to 25-ish or something like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was uh, fiddling around uh, grilling meats for a corporate corporate restaurant chain. And I was a huge nerd shopping at comic stops like a maniac. Mm-hmm. Comic shops. At, uh, Dave's Comics was on my regular rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fun for All, which back in those days might have been called, uh, I'm blanking on the name, different name back then. But, yeah, regular comic shop goer. A huge train enthusiast. I had model railroads running through the house, mixed in with all my comics and stormtroopers and shit. So, yeah. That's what I was doing, yeah. Uh, going nowhere fast. Married? Not married yet, but uh, my future wife, Elizabeth, and I were together at that point. We got Kids? We got hitched right out of high school, mm-hmm. like in, in the not literal sense, but yeah. Uh, n- one kid, Dana, when we turned 19, we had our, fr- our son, mm-hmm. and then, uh, yeah, so one young baby. And you were traveling around. You were you were working for Ruby Tuesdays, but at a they were they were moving you around kind of nationally as needed, right? You were down in Florida for a while. Yeah, I had a pretty good gig. Yeah, we uh, drove to Florida to transfer down to a Ruby Tuesdays down there, open a new one, 
Liz was pregnant. We drove down there. We camped along the way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I stayed in Florida for about a year and a half. It was too hot for me, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. And then we had to leave. And then I came back and worked at Ruby Tuesday some more and got the double dog dare about opening a comic shop from that dude who will remain unnamed. Mm-hmm. And uh, then me and I pull, I roped my good buddy Steve into this whole thing. So this is, and I want to get back to Steve. Mm-hmm. Don't think we're not going to talk about Oh, we Steve. have to. But that's so crazy to believe that like it was literally out of spite that really drove you to to want to get this off the ground. There has to be more to it. Yeah, than and that. It, and that's, that's not it. I just remember that as a being a a real moment where you know it's the real shit or get off the pot sort of a get serious. Yeah, get serious, man. And it was it it did kind of you know as much as I talk about it in you know angry tones. I think it really was a cool moment of going. Yeah, no, I really like this. Mm-hmm. I've been reading comics for a super long time. I'm a major fan. Yeah, this might be something to do that would be cooler than you know. Flipping burgers and deep frying fries. And how ahead of, so 1996, July 1st, 1996, that's, mm-hmm. that's opening day, right? That is, so yes. how far ahead of time is the, that, that moment? So probably about two years. Two years. Two and a half time. years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two years from, this is something that I actually want to start thinking, figuring out how to do. Yep. And then you pulled in Steve Fidale, your business partner. Yeah, we would hang out all the time, uh, usually, you know. Ripping bongs or whatever, mm-hmm. reading comics, listening to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, in the hobby room. We can't talk about the history of Vault of Midnight without talking about marijuana. We can't. There's just no way around it. Yeah, you know. So I like to gloss it over now and pretend that I've always been a straight-edged yeah. stand-up citizen. But in fact, yeah, no, I was a real bong ripper, mm-hmm. and uh, so was Steve. Your early twenties. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, you know, it was the year 1995. Of course, I was doing that. Right. I was listening to Jane's Addiction and. Smoking pot and reading comic books. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we would just sit in the hobby room, you know, and we would just, you know, get a, a duber going, mm-hmm. start shooting the breeze, like, man, maybe we could. How could we do it? And, uh, yeah, it literally all happened sitting on this, like, little couch in my hobby room. Very idle chat at first. At first. And then we started putting it together. Yeah. yeah, and then we started to think, like, a little bit sort of like humans uh, with an actual working mind might, like, Steve's an accountant. You know, he was a CPA. He was doing that. And you can't over, and you can't over sell the importance of Steve and his accounting background and his like ability with numbers. And probably, see, tell me if I'm wrong, but the viability of like turning this into an actual thing and not just like bong rips and idle chat. A- absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I'm the starry-eyed dipshit dreamer. Yeah. And Steve is also, you know, he he's definitely. I mean, to to throw in with me on a comic show. Oh, you'd have to be. Yeah. You know, but he also did have, you know, the sense to put numbers on paper and let's kind of, you know, what does it look like? Yeah. Um, whereas I would have, you know, whatever, signed a lease and th- threw boxes in a room and what happens? Right. So, uh, yeah, it was great. I think it was a really good marriage. And we we talked about that early on. Like, hey, man, you know, he he was not as big as a comic dork at that time as I was. Sure. So he was rely- relying on me to know about the stuff and I was relying on him to help you know actually make it a business right and it was great it still is to this day i mean without steve i mean we're you know and you know now because you listen to it we we come up with these cockamamie schemes we should build a hot air balloon and yeah you know throw hot dogs to the people no that's not gonna fly fiscally (laughs) that's totally irresponsible and steve is there to help us with that and now he's a huge dork too he's just been reading comics for 20 years so so in those in those early days how did you guys come across that first location you're just like looking around this is a tiny little house yep it's all pink yeah 
It's on a street in Ann Arbor. It's off the beaten path a little bit if you're going to be downtown. Yep. But you, you got, how did you hone in on that one? Well, so we couldn't afford anything. Nobody would give us a loan. We had no money. Mm-hmm. And we joke about this all the time. Like, we, we had like 200 bucks. Yeah. We seriously had a thousand bucks. Right. And a friend of ours, we somehow conned a friend of ours into letting us use their credit card. Right. For some expenses. So oh, we had shit. about $5,000 on a credit card that was not ours. <laughs> I don't know how that fucking happened yeah uh we conned another friend of ours mom into loaning us literally one thousand dollars um but liz worked to answer your question liz worked midnights at the fleetwood diner right and so i would be hanging out there constantly and you know there was you know two doors three doors down was the vault of midnight location and it had a for lease sign this is a super in in ann arbor it's a super popular diner it's right downtown i lived there for yeah. like two years, like there's a the Fleetwood is a place where if you are in your early to mid twenties, it's open twenty four hours a day. It's a greasy spoon, and a lot of us who grew up in Ann Arbor have spent some serious time there. It is a cultural uh, point in Ann Arbor. Yeah, quintessential Ann Arbor. I mean, it's been there my whole life. So I never put that together though. So Liz is there. She's working like the midnight, like late shifts. Correct. Right. Pregnant yes. at this point, she, she would become pregnant very, very soon. Yeah. Yes. And then. So that makes sense. You guys are on the block. You kind of like see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Liz is working the hardened shift at the craziest fucking diner Absolutely. in Ann Arbor. Yep. At a time when Ann Arbor was like, it was never like gritty, but it was not what it is today. Oh, it was a horror show. Midnight's at the Fleetwood. It's the only yeah. bar, o- only food open at that time. Yeah. So everybody's just hammered. Yep. I mean, it's just a sea of drunk people out the door. But it's not like college student drunk people. Nope. It's because they it's didn't townies. come. They didn't come down there. These are people that have to be drunk at this point. Yeah. It's, yep. It was it was intense. The amount of uh, vomit and brawls that yeah. I've seen at the Fleetwood at three o'clock in the morning is a lot. And that makes you, I- at that point, you're on the block, you see what's going on, you see that there's this this space that's opening up. Yep. And that's how, that's that's what determined that. Well, there's so many factors, right? So we we call the number. Yeah. And once you get the ball rolling, that's the thing that you've probably discovered as we do this thing. Once we start pulling triggers, yep. there's no unpulling them. Right. So we met with the landlord and the price was pretty good and he would actually consider renting to us. Right. You know, because everybody else is w- took one look at me and Steve. We're like 20 years old and we have no money, no business, real business plan. I mean, we have our idea of a business plan. But yeah, uh, yeah. And somehow this guy was like, sure, I'll rent you this location. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were off to the races. So and then then stuff, you know, happens real quick. Yeah. So. I mean, I could. We could talk about like step by step all of the the crazy things that have happened to this shop and like the the journey of the place. Um, but I feel like we have an opportunity to talk about in a weird way because we're doing this because it's the 20th anniversary. Right. Yep. Right. Um, and it's very unusual. It's unusual for a business to last 20 years, period. It's highly unusual for a comic book shop to last for 20 years. I think you're right. It's not something that you see every day. Um, so you have a unique vantage point of what's been going on in this industry and you've seen it you've been at the ground level for 20 years is there anything you can kind of pinpoint as to how how it's changed over 20 years yeah i mean you know so it's always been this kind of closed thing Mm -hmm. you know and our goal was initially to like open up the clubhouse was that a goal initially absolutely you know we we definitely felt that way but you know looking back on it i still feel like our our style was so intense. Yeah, lots of crushed black velvet, and you know everything was uh, just in a way. Uh, 
I don't know if we succeeded initially with that goal. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in our black velvet, you know, there's swords and chicks in bikinis everywhere. Sure. And, you know, it was 1996. So our selection of comics, we had, you know, there's good books coming out, but there was a lot of uh, devils and demons and ladies in bikinis. Yeah. And so, you know, looking back, well, you know, were we as, you know, we weren't off the beat in the path. So, you know, it was it as inclusive as we wanted it to be. But that said, since we had such an intense kind of, I, I dare I say, vision, I mean, a lot of people remember that store very fondly. Oh, uh, just because yeah. it was so funky with train sets and action figure dioramas. You know, we had a stormtrooper army set up in there and a Millennium Falcon hanging from the ceiling that yeah. we had painted. You know, so it w- it was intense, but you know, it stuck. It stood out. It was it was very. Uh, you you couldn't miss it if you saw it. It was like. I guess I never really thought about this, but it had some of the trappings of what you normally associate with a comic book shop, but if all of that actually worked and was fun and was aesthetically pleasing. Does that make sense? I think you're right. Like it is kind of clubhousey and it and it was there it was packed with stuff, but it was meticulously packed. And from what I remember, I was a little kid when I was first there, it was beautiful. But What's up, Marcus? And well, th- I think this is a super interesting thing because we're talking about the history of all, but it was in this location that a very young Nick Wybar came to your shop all the time. Yeah. And and you hooked Nick into this business under a very interesting business proposition. <laughs> and I think it's just the funniest <laughs> fucking thing in the world. Oh, it's the best. And and y- you can't talk about the history of Vault of Midnight without talking about Nick Wybar. So I would be very, I, w- I think it would be very interesting for the people to hear about how you, in this little room of a house, hooked Nick Wybar into the biz. What the deal was. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, the dude had no chance. He was how old? He, he was like 11, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Something like this. And he was lived two doors down. Right. So if you're 11 and you live two houses down from, like, the velvet, you know, Satan house. Yeah. You know, you're probably going to... That's it. That You know, you're doomed. Yeah. Um, but I met some of the best people, uh, the people that I know to this day, my most cherished friends and, you know, loved ones. Uh, I met through Vault. I met Nick. I met Christian right around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were buddies and hanging out. Those two young, young hooligans. Mm-hmm. I met Sam, my good, good buddy, who I still know to this day. He rolled up on his cool, pimped out, you know, banana seat bike. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we uh, we somehow uh, tricked Nick into writing reviews for our newsletter. Initially, mm-hmm. uh, we would trade him just like nothing. We would trade him like one comic for like forty hours of work. The one brand new Spawn. Yeah. For the review. Yep. Yeah. If you so slave away at the comic shop oh, for a week, we'll give you one comic. So Curtis would give you the the most recent issue of Spawn. Yep. And then you would read it and write a review. And he would put it in the Vault of Midnight newsletter. And that's yeah. how that's how it all started. Well, and I also did, I would work in the shop like $4 an hour yeah. in trade for comics. <laughs> so Curtis was essentially paying you $2 an hour as an 11-year-old yeah. yep. to write spot reviews and do miscellaneous bullshit around, around the, the shop. original shop. Yeah, that's true. And, and here you are today. You know, I you know no, I'm thinking about it. I probably am responsible partially for your English degree. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, just got you writing back as a young man. First, yeah, paid writing gig for Spawn. Yeah, absolutely. Man, wow. But Nick, <laughs> uh, he's probably regaled the tale on this podcast. I'm thinking now that I'm thinking about it. Before, about that's how you got Kingdom Come initially. 
Oh yeah, this from I for slaving saved away. It up, and it took me months. <laughs> and because Curtis did not track these things, yeah. this is the other <laughs> thing you have to remember. Like Curtis oh. didn't like at the end of the day go, okay, Nick worked four hours today. That's sixteen dollars in trade. He didn't have a ledger. I kept meticulous track. Oh, you did. Very careful oh, track. Oh, good, good. And so, and I, it took me like this was a whatever. This is like a forty dollar book, hardcover yeah. book or whatever. And I could only work as can and like little chunks and pieces. So yeah, I had to keep this. And I showed up. I was like, Curtis, I'm ready to take this. And I remember he was like, What? fuck are you talking about? I was going to say, what was my reaction? Did I just go for it? I'm like, yeah, probably right. No, it was, no, well, you were, t- you assumed that my accounting was correct. Okay. But you were pissed that I was taking the sweet <laughs> leather bound <laughs> oh, hard I was. of Kingdom okay. Come off the How show. dare you? Do you still have that ledger? I, the ledger? No, absolutely yeah. not. I still have the Kingdom Come though. Awesome. So never forget about it. I do have a bunch of handwritten spawn reviews by young, young baby Nick. You have the handwritten one? Handwritten. Yeah, I got at least two or three of them, like handwritten with corrections and everything, and yeah. I'm gonna cherish those forever. So let's let's not get too far off track here. So we're talking okay. about the industry. Yep. We're talking about how it's changed. What's the biggest thing you think is different today than it was 20 years ago when you opened that place? Uh, you know, it's from our perspective, it's uh, it's just widened up so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just true, and we say it all the time, and I hear us saying it to people, but we just get everybody through the door now. Yeah, and that is a function or or a result because of our locations. We never would have gotten the breadth and width of customers that we have now on Ashley Street. It's just not as well traveled. Putting our shops right front and center, uh, and you combine that with the fact that comics are just wide open, genre wise, style wise, art, everything. It's just a much bigger, broader medium than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And you know, it lit- it was, you know. It's hard to overstate how kind of small and niche and how it had all these kind of rules when we started. You know, there's, it, was, it was so many superheroes. It was very few. Independents were just this tiny little sliver. You'd get a one or two breakout hits, your Love and Rockets or something, but it was very hard to make any noise if you weren't Marvel and DC and then some image. And even if you were, the industry is at, like, one of its... Valleys. It's one of its all-time lows in terms oh. of sales numbers, yep. and it, we had just gotten over a huge collapse. Yeah, there were so many red flags, you know what I mean? Marvel was self-distributing, and they were doing a terrible job. We bought the inventory of a comic shop that was going out of business. To open your new comic shop. Exactly. And you know, and then you start looking at the news, and you're like, oh, there's comic shops dropping like <laughs> flies. Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, it's too late. The checks have been written. Which, luckily, back then, checks didn't clear for two weeks. That was probably a big part of your business that plan. That was huge. So literally, <laughs> we'd get our new shipment of comics every week, and we'd write a check that we may or may not had money for. Right. And we'd always get the money by the time. Right. But you had a little two-week window. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, super how, crazy. how long into the process is it when you have your, your second child? Oh, so the, right out of the gate. So when we, by the time we opened, we planned initially to open May 1st, mm-hmm. and then we moved that back to June 1st. But I couldn't stop building my model railroad because that was vital. That had to be there. To the comic shop. Yeah. Do you guys sell trains? No, absolutely not. We just have a train running through the store. And um, <laughs> no, it's a comic book store. What do you fuck know? We don't sell trains. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no. So we finally opened July 1. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my wife is uh, at that point. So Kylie is November. She's born. Mm-hmm. So four months after we have five months after we open. I can't do math. You know me. But yeah, so right when we opened, I got Dana, my three-year-old son, 
hanging out with me every single day because we have no money for daycare or anything else. Yep. So me and Dana just lived together at the comic book shop for years. And, uh, yeah, my wife is yeah, six, five, six months pregnant when we opened the doors. Yeah. It was nuts. Open till midnight initially, too. Yes. Well, you got to be working a second job, right, at this point? like Me and Steve both the whole time. First eight years, we both worked full, full, full-time jobs in addition to full-time comic shop. So where did you work when the shop opened? I was at Ruby Tuesdays. Uh, at Ruby Tuesdays mm-hmm. also. Okay, yep. got it. Yeah, it was pretty wild. What'd you, like, what'd your week look like? What was that day look like? Oh, it was intense. Usually, me and me and Steve would trade off, so it'd be s- me from open till four ish or mm-hmm. five ish. Because Steve's working a an office, he's working a nine to five. Nine to five. Yeah. Yep. And then we'd switch, and I'd go to my job, my other restaurant gig, and then he would close the comic book shop, and we'd do that seven days a week. Yeah. It was bananas. And you got it. You're making no money. Jack squat. I was doing okay at Ruby Tuesdays. You Not know? from R- Ruby Tuesdays, but the comic shop comic itself shop. is doing no money. No money. It's a. I don't want to say. It's a passion thing at this point. It's 100% passion, and we started off, there's no reason we should be in business. Yeah. We started off with so little capital. We didn't have, you know, if you open a business, and whatever your business is, if your business is cheese, it's my favorite one to go to, cheese, because there's so many comparisons to the comic industry, mm-hmm. uh, you need inventory. You just, you, you need inventory. You need a constant, fresh, new inventory to then sell to turn into money yeah. for all of the reasons. And we had, you know, like I said, you know, we had 5000 bucks on a credit card. Yeah. That was all spent by the time the place opens. We're like almost bouncing checks to get the minimum amount of stuff through Diamond through the door. Yeah. So the reason I'm going into all this detail is because, you know, it took us years and years and years to build up capital because nobody would give us a loan yeah. to actually have shit in the store to sell people. And luckily, McFarlane Toys was new and fledgling, and that was really one of our major lifelines, right? Major toy stores weren't really carrying... McFarlane toys because they were a little more demonic and mm-hmm. crazy. Um, but we had 90-day terms with McFarlane toys right out of the gate. And 90-day terms for and for, for, well, for the people who don't know, that means you can they'll send you product. You don't have to pay for it for 90 days. Correct. So that's probably super hard to come by for you guys at this point because not not a lot of credit or no or bad credit. Correct. And no history to speak of. Right. So that that's huge. No, that was a that was a lifeline and the, you know, McFarlane Toys' home office was based out of Michigan at the time. So we would go to the home office and like meet with the people. Yeah. You know, all the dudes would come to the store. Todd McFarlane's dad used to come to the store and they would show off their new toys at our shop, like the prototypes and stuff. So I mean, it was it was crazy. We would get semi trucks full of spawn toys, you know, like pallets of spawn toys. Yeah. That's how many uh, we were selling. People were really into it. It was great. Um, but that was, again, like the 90 days. Without the 90 days terms there? No chance. No chance. So if you could, if there's one thing that you could go back and tell yourself, 24-year-old Curtis, right? Yeah. What would you What would you tell him? At this point, knowing what you know about the business now and about the industry now, what would you tell him? Man, it's it's so tough. I mean, I'm glad we stuck with it and we made it. There's no way we would be here if we didn't just go crazy and do it. Yeah. There's no getting a half a million dollars in capital to start your business, which is what you should do. Mm-hmm. You should absolutely do that. You should have a very, very firm grasp of whatever industry you're trying to get involved in, and you should have a bunch of money, not only to open the store, but cash to sit on to make changes and, and do things. Uh, we would, you, would, you have told, would you have told young Curtis and Steve, like, get more money before you do this? You know, I, I would like to say that that would be the way to go. I just don't know if we'd be here. 
Right. It's so because daunting. Because it may not have happened. Yeah, it's very, very tough. What about something in the day-to-day, something in the in the being in the shop or something that you learned about the industry? Besides like money, j- besides the idea of opening the shop, sure. the fact of running the shop, what did you wish you would start doing 20 years earlier? Uh, you know, we finally got a good location 10 years in. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, being able to take a little more risk earlier, get a better location, really put your money where your mouth is, you know, just go all in. Mm-hmm. You know, we took that first location, and definitely a big part of that was, shit, well, if it all goes, you know, <laughs> we're, we're good to go. You know, we can get out with some shirt left. Yeah. You know, it's not the end of the world. This isn't a catastrophic failure if it doesn't, if it fizzles. So, um, yeah, take more risks and, and, you know, get a POS system. Yeah. You know, or even a computer that tracks some sort of sales. We did everything with pen and paper, everything, our subscription service, all of it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how we did it. You know, it, looking back on it, it seems impossible. Right. So I'm glad I'm glad we did it. You know, it was a it was crazy as fuck. But yeah, I'm glad you did, too. Yeah. Um, any uh, any any favorite memories that you want to share with us 20 years later? Any any one thing that that sticks out? Well, you know, so many people have followed us around Ann Arbor. We've had four locations. Mm-hmm. We've had a tumultuous uh, time finding a good home for Vault of Midnight. Uh, we were in a haunted gas station at one point. Um, Steve was telling me some, some fun stories over the phone. I guess I threw a vacuum down the stairs <laughs> at Vault 2. <laughs> I was so pissed at this vacuum. I don't know why. Yeah. And these stairs were, like, really high, and it, the vacuum just exploded into a thousand pieces. When you were a younger man, you were you were prone to smashing stuff and throwing stuff when frustrated. Absolutely. And phones and vacuums for some reason. Yeah, I saw you smash a phone. Yeah, I, I just would destroy a phone or a vacuum. Yeah. So, but I'm happy to report I have not destroyed either of those things in, in many years. Yeah. So, there's just so many. Uh, I guess the mezzanine at the second vault, we had a, a mezzanine where we kept our back issues. Mm-hmm. Um, a gentleman in a trench coat was uh, receiving oral pleasure up there. Uh, Steve regaled me that tale. I thought it happened in the Main Street store downstairs. No. Oh. Upstairs, mezzanine, haunted gas station. Did you guys have midnight. cameras up there or did we, somebody walk did. up there? Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't know what to do. We're both like paralyzed. Like, I don't know what we should do, man. Do we go up there? You, you bang on the mezzanine with a broom. Exactly. Knock it off. You... <laughs> Did you uh, figure out, did you guys, like, get a blowtorch and decide that you knew how to use a blowtorch? Oh, so this is my favorite part of all the Vault of Midnight's. We don't know how to do any of this stuff. Like, first of all, we're, like, building shelves. Yeah. We don't have any right to even attempt that. Right. But we do it. You know, we're laying carpet. We're doing whatever. We're painting. We drywalled a ceiling. (laughs) You know, I've never drywalled anything, so we decided. That seems like something you should know how to do before you just do it. Yeah, we just decided, look, we're going to, we can't pay anyone to do this. We can barely afford the sheetrock to put on the ceiling. Right. You know? But it's very difficult. I talk to people who drive, like, yeah, I hate ceilings, you know? Like, (laughs) it all sucks. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the the haunted gas station had these old, it it had an awning that had since rotted away or been removed, but these rusted steel I-beams were sticking out of the side of the building. And we had no one to do this work, so a friend of ours had a friend who had like a what a blowtorch is an arc welder cutting uh, cutting torch cutting torch. <laughs> so me and this dude Pete at like three o'clock in the morning, no permits, nothing. I'm I'm on a ladder. Yeah, almost certainly stoned. Definitely stoned on a ladder. It's three o'clock in the morning. I have a, a arc welding cutting torch. Goggles, mask. I might have had goggles. I might have yeah. actually had goggles. Yeah, probably uh, swimming goggles or. Exactly. Whatever <laughs> available goggle-like thing. 
yeah, we're blowtorching these <laughs> I-beams off, man. In the middle of the night. It was crazy, and they weighed, like, the piece that we were cutting off weighed, like, 150 <laughs> yeah. pounds. Did you just let it fall to the we're ground? like, 12 feet up in the air. We let it fall to the ground. Fuck. Yep. What? Hey, Marcus, you know a lot about yeah. construction. What yeah. could they have done to themselves? Oh, well, that could have fallen the wrong way and hit the ladder and crushed them. Yeah. That You know, usually there's some kind of, so you put some kind of thing underneath it, so then when it falls, it falls, like, an inch. Right. Right, and then you wheel it away. Uh, <coughs> um, sometimes when you cut metal, pieces of that metal will come off of it and uh, burn through your skin. So oh, you great. have to wear like oh, very because right, I didn't even think about the hot metal. Yeah, the you molten have to, you have steel. to wear very specific safety gloves. Also, what happens a lot of times is that metal stays hot for a long time. Um, so chunks of it they go hot will fall into the ground and start fires. Right, because you're dropping <laughs> hot metal into th- other things. So these are all the things that you and think about. And we're not even getting into just the wielding of the actual Correct. torch. Th- that torch will, like a lightsaber, cut and right through you. take your hand right off. And, and there will be no blood because the heat will just <laughs> burn you to nothing. Wow. Um, so a litany yeah. of catastrophic I, uh, problems. Yeah. Curtis, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, do you feel now... Like you've made it, and if you do, when was the feel? When was the moment when you were like, you breathed for the first time? Like shit, we we made it a little bit. With something we we've done it right. There's success here, because I have to imagine. It sounds like for years it was just like we're in a location, we have no money. Fuck, we have to move to another location. Shit, what's gonna? When was the moment when you were just like, I've I've made it. There's success. Something is right here. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that's a tough one. So the first ten years were just brutal, you know. And we didn't pay attention enough, so it didn't really weigh on me mentally. Uh, You know what I mean? I didn't get intensely. You know, we're never gonna. It's all falling apart. You know, even though it was really on on the edge the whole time. We moved to Main Street, and that was definitely a monster moment when we peeled the the tape off the window on Main Street. Christian peeled the tape so me and Nick could stand across, or me and Steve could stand across the street and watch, you know, mm-hmm. watch the paper come down and reveal the new store on Main Street, and like we we wept like babies. It was a a glorious moment. Um, but even early on on Main Street, I mean, we had gone from like a fifteen hundred square foot store to like this four thousand square foot monster. Um, again, we did all the carpentry. We ripped the carpet out. We smashed walls. We put in the lights. We bi- I built all the shelves. I don't know how to build stuff. Yeah. You know, you can't really tell because we bury those shitty shelves in a bunch of books. Um, but not to give too long-winded of an answer, but I, I'm still not there yet. You know, we got a lot. We got a long road to go, and I feel really responsible. And Nick will back me up here because, you know, he's doing management stuff. And even I'm sure you have this feeling, you know, the responsibility to our crew to keep the thing going and make it good and, and pay people, you know, as much as we can and, you know, all that stuff. But my brain is now in a good place. Yeah, I'm not stressed out about it. I'm juiced at when the do you challenge. Think, when do you think that happened? When did that? When did that switch over? Yeah, happen? I wonder. That may be you know 2008 ish or something. We started having some really good years, and you, you really start feeling like you know not just a good year. You're not just paying bills, but man, you're you're having an impact on on the the community in a good way. People like your store. Sales are great. We get a good crew. At some point, you were so, able to do this as your sole means of income. Yep. And then that had to have been huge. That was a that was a monster. Yeah, my last gig outside of the comic shop was a grocery store, and uh, I was working 
all day at the comic book shop, and then I was working the night shift at a grocery store unloading trucks. My shift would start at 4 a.m. in the grocery store. I remember that. You were saving up to buy a house. Yes. Yep. So, so it was... I, and you were a zombie. Yeah, I was rough. I remember those years, brother. Yeah. So it was it was two years of. I mean, I don't I don't know, but it seemed like that's about the amount of time when you were going that hard. Yep. And it was full blown, two full blown jobs. Yep. And we were on Main Street, and and Main Street was going good, so it was gobbling up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it was probably two thousand eight ish. You know where I uh, I'm trying to think, we've been in my house now for six years, so. Mm-hmm. 2008 to 2010 where really like okay I don't have to work anywhere else yep I'm feeling good and this is just how it is right I you know we were doing okay at the comic book shop but like trying to get a deposit together for a house you know you start to think about being a grown-up and like Mm -hmm. man how am I gonna get you know 15,000 bucks in in cash that I can give someone for a house that's just not that's extremely difficult um so yeah that was that was huge and now the challenge is like just refining the thing, right? I love being in the spot we're in now because we just we're just trying to rethink it every day, and that's a cool place to be. That's that's way cool, other than like riding the razor's edge. So yeah, maybe two thousand eight ish. I'm getting emotional listening to you talk. Uh, so we're twenty years in, and um, we got a long road ahead of us. Three shops now, twenty something employees. Um, what do you, is there anything that you want to, people are coming to the shop this week to kind of celebrate it and celebrate the shop. People have been sharing their memories with us over the past few weeks. Um, just kind of talking about what the place has meant to them for two decades. Um, what, how, how do you feel about that? What do you you have anything that you want to say to them, to these people that have been sharing these memories with us? Uh, it's just been a a wild ride and I, I just can't think, uh, really, I mean, you know, we're happy to be in Grand Rapids in Detroit now, but. The city of Ann Arbor has been super good to us the whole time. Uh, they've embraced us as weird as we've always been. They've followed us all around the city as we move from one kind of bizarre, oddball location to the next. Um, and it's it's just so great right now. The staff we have is incredible. Um, ki- people come in with their kids. They're even coming in with their kids' kids. Mm-hmm. It's just great. We've uh, been a part of our hometown for 20 years, and it it feels great. And I'm very optimistic about the future. I love where we're going. I love the heart that everybody's bringing to the shop. Um, we just keep hiring killer people that are bringing their flavor to the the table, and it, it's wonderful to mix that in. You know, everybody's got their own skill sets and passions, and I think the vault is as good as it's ever been. But we're we got more to do, and I'm excited to do it. So, yeah. So I got just thank you from the bottom of my heart. I don't have any other skills. All I can do is sell comic books. Well, you're pretty good at it. So, I, I think, uh, I mean, there's so many of us who grew up going to the vault, and now we work at the vault. And I think to say that Vault of Midnight has become a cornerstone of the community, at least our our culture of the community, for sure. Yeah. But it has just been a safe, accepting place for people who maybe don't know where they are in in, in acceptance to go and be themselves and talk to, you know, at the start, two rad dudes who will listen to you and allow you to come into their world and be safe in their culture. It is, it cannot be stated enough how important, now I'm getting very emotional, how important um, the shop has been to our culture and spreading that culture and allowing uh, nerdy dudes 
and ladies to come in and be themselves and be accepted and think of a place that is home for them. Um, and and through the work of you and Steve and all the current and previous Vault of Midnight employees, that is what Vault, at least for me, that is what Vault of Midnight has been for our uh, area. I would not be the person I am today. I would not feel accepted and loved by our community if it wasn't for what two broke dudes uh, tried to do uh, back in the day. Thanks, homie. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll second all that. It's been, Vault of Midnight has been a part of my life for 20 years and it's it was it was burned into my dna from the first time that i walked in there um and i never i did if you could have told that kid 11 year old you know nick that i that this is what his life would look like now um you know you and steve are my family you guys you're my brothers and uh it's been uh the place is very important to me. What you guys have built is really, really important to me. Um, yeah, it's 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 a big part of my world, and uh, I know it wasn't always easy. So, yeah, uh, you know, in getting ready for this, we were just thinking. Thank you both for being so kick ass. By the way, um, yeah, just thinking about this thing, like the this, the the amount of crazy shit that's happened over twenty years. Yeah, it's it's very wild. From from I beams to you know smashed vacuum cleaners to moving and having just really intense uh, feelings about whether or not we're going to stay open, mm-hmm. move to move. Um, so glad we did. You know, we've learned a ton, and I, I just feel we're in a great place right now with great people, and I'm, I'm so glad we stuck it out and that, that everybody stuck with us as we Yeah, you guys had you know, every opportunity it. to bail, and it would have, and nobody would have, I'm sure there was plenty of encouragement to bail, Absolutely. like tacitly and explicitly. Like yeah, oh yeah. Just fucking quit. Yeah, you know, it's two kids. It's you know, you're. But instead of you just worked harder, um, and it speaks to you and Steve and and what kind of people you are. You're the hardest working people I've ever met in my whole life, and it shows. And uh, the, I think it's you guys have been. You, it's acknowledged in the industry. And in the city of Ann Arbor, and in the two cities that um, that we've expanded to, um, it's it's just as as plain as can be. And there's nobody that has ever met you guys that doesn't respect the hell out of you and love what you've done. There's got to be a few that hate us. There's got to be one. Oh or two. well, okay, yeah. But no, uh, thank you for saying that. No, that's that's great, man. Yeah, we just give it our all, you know, right or wrong. We we're just going for it. Yeah. So you know, uh, from a staff point of view, I mean hiring charlie mm-hmm. you know just so many serendipitous things happened right so charlie moves to ann arbor we put up a craigslist ad and bam she's hired and she just changes the whole trajectory of fall to midnight mm-hmm. and that's happened just with everybody marcus was coming in hanging out with nerd life and we we poached homie you one, know one crowbar to the face so uh you know and and changed the whole game again and uh, Caitlin in Grand Rapids is doing great things. I mean, all the staff of Vault has been here for a long time, and they're killing it. But without these people in it, and it's crazy how they came to us, or how we can't, however it worked, and how they've just changed everything so, so much, and so much for the better. It's wild. There's just so many near misses and so many hits that informed. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it feels like it's uh, totally random, but it's not. You know, because we're 
we're doing it. But um, I got to say what's up to my man Norm uh, from the Eye of Agamotto. It's my favorite comic shop when I was a kid. He definitely changed my life. Joe from Dave's Comics put me up on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and so many other ill comics. Without those two dudes, probably wouldn't be here. Um, and Steve Fodali, that guy has put up with a, I just can't believe I roped that dude into doing this and he's stuck around the whole fucking time. Because uh, he had no good, you know, if you listen to anybody, uh, this is a, a not the way to go. You're not going to make money selling comic books. This dude was a CPA on his way to millions and he gave it away for a comic book store. So thank you very much, young Steve. I'm like, I can't talk good right now. I'm so sorry. Like ever since we yeah. got into it, I'm feeling okay. a little crazy pants. Anything else? Um, Anything that guy down the street used to mow the lawn in his speedo. Barber man. He bought, he came to my house in the middle of the night one time and decided that um, we needed mulch in our garden out front. Okay. So in his speedo, he just killed the entire garden by smothering it all with mulch. Really? Yeah. In the middle of the night. Middle of the night. Stone yeah. drunk. Wow. So many things I wish. Uh, so, so many stories about Volta Midnight, like Nick's bathroom review, I think is one of the funniest fucking things <laughs> I've ever heard about Volta Midnight. <laughs> fucking Curtis going on a rant about Henry Ford will stick with me until the day I die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And me just being like, I don't know if I can shop here. That dude's crazy. <laughs> and now he's one of my best fucking <laughs> friends and my mentor. And at first I was just like, this dude hates Henry Ford. That's so bizarre. And Curtis probably doesn't ever remember that. Rant. I didn't remember it until you uh, mentioned it to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I probably did say that just, um, it's just fucking insane yeah you know and like steve and shelly our current landlords you know they gave us a shot they had no reason to give a comic book store a shot and yep. in right in the middle of main street and they took a chance on us they changed our whole life we're at where we're at now doesn't exist without steve and shelly no it cannot be uh over say they threw us a lifeline we didn't have a place to go we were month to month at our previous lease mm-hmm we were right on death's door and couldn't find a spot, couldn't find a spot. And, uh, and it's the perfect spot. And it's the perfect spot. It changed the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the sign guy from who was designing the sign for Vault of Midnight Main Street was a huge dildo. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would give him these designs and uh, he would throw them out the window <laughs> and then do whatever the fuck he wanted. So what was one of the iterations was it was a wolf baying at the moon. It was. Dripping in blood. So he had written Vault of Midnight in blood. <laughs> in dripping blood. <laughs> and then it said comic books and collectibles in dripping blood. And you told him like we don't put collectibles in the sign that we're paying you money to make. Yeah, there's no collectibles no matter what the fuck you do. You know, don't put collectibles in How there. are you going to know what you sell? This guy. I'm not taking it out. <laughs> he had a fucking meltdown on me, you know, in the middle of his office because I just went back again for like the sixth <laughs> time, you know, like fucking come on, man. The name of the store is Vault of Midnight Comic Books and Stuff. That's what it says. Don't change the fucking you copy. Can't put stuff. <laughs> yeah. How how are people gonna know? This guy was red faced and literally had a meltdown on me in in his office. So good. It was the worst. The, my only regret from that is I don't have a copy of the Dripping Blood Vault of Midnight. I've seen it one time, and it was as beautiful as you are describing and it. And it's not enough that it was Dripping Blood. He had to have a wolf, wolf? baying at the moon. Yeah, that's right. Fucking come on. Yeah. 
And no matter how many times he told him, like, no, it's Vault of Midnight, like, so it's kind of like an intense name, but it's not, we're not, the store's not black. Say no more. Nope, you know? I gotcha. Say no more. It's not a pentagram in the place, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Liz, yeah. Liz, too, man. Like, it's just crazy to think about, you know, Liz is working midnights while all this is happening, and you got two kids. Oh, we would trade kids. I would, I would keep Dana at the shop all day. Go home at night with Kylie. It was it was fucking wild, man. Takes a unique woman. Yeah, to I put up with that. Kind I, of I have no idea. It's like Steve and Liz both. I, I don't know how anyone has fucking you know come through the other side. Oh yeah, because it, it's it makes no sense. Yeah, lesser humans would. Uh, they're just the best. You know, God bless them. Hey, I'm glad we had a chance to do this. We've been talking about doing it for a long time. Um. We have to get Steve on the podcast mm-hmm. and, and do the same thing with him. I would love that. He'll have uh, different stories to tell. Sometimes, I bet, diametrically opposed to Curtis's Absolutely. version of the events. No, I, uh, as you know, my recollections can be fuzzy on a good day. And my dude, like today, like I was, I called him before we did this. I was like, hey, Steve, man, you got any good stuff? Like, let's yeah. go through it store by store. You got any bangers? And, like, he just cracked off a million things that I hadn't thought about yeah. in years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we do have to talk about one more thing. I'm so sorry. So right when Vault of Midnight opened up, 1996, the store's all black velvet and, you know, basically Satan's clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come into work. There's a message on the answering machine. And I press play, and it is a religious group that has vowed to shut down our den of iniquity. They're going to protest us. They're going to do whatever it takes Anything in their power, they will shut us down. Because of the products that you're carrying, yes, and because of the, the 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 weird kind of evil vibe of it. Obviously, Vault of Midnight, it's evil. Yeah, it loves Satan, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Underworld. And so this message was like super intense and crazy. Like I, I, I was like, holy shit, we are going down. This is how it ends. Yeah, you're not equipped to deal with this. No, we are doomed. I cannot handle the bad publicity. Bang, so I'm shitting bricks all day long. Five o'clock comes. Steve rolls in, just got so, gets off his accounting job. I'm like, holy shit. As soon as he gets in there, I'm like, Steve, they're going to shut us down. The Christians, the, the extreme religious group is going to end our comic book store. Turns out Steve, uh, that was Steve on the answering machine. <laughs> and uh, he pranked me. I did not recognize his voice. He, like, disguised his voice somehow. <laughs> Fucking nailed me. I was crapping my pants all day long. And my dude just ate it up he was laughing at me for literally days yeah and even still now and i forgot about that entirely until young steve brought it up it was a banger of a prank but man we were like nascent man we just started dude yeah. and i re- i mean i he it was got plausible. me with this could have happened yeah like oh my goodness we do we have a, a window it's, full of demons it's pretty evil yeah <laughs> now that i think about it oh my goodness <laughs> yeah we had a display the spawn toys in the front window nick you remember this display oh, oh my yes so it's red crushed velvet like in a waterfall yeah and there's just like rows of demons. They're all demons. They're every single one of them. They're like all a, from hell. They literally. Yeah. Yep. And that's our front window. Welcome to the comic book store. <laughs> Still get some of that shit, man. Yeah. 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 So we're, anyways. We're going to get uh, Steve's version of those events. I would love that. Yeah, maybe we'll get him to recreate that song message. Steve doesn't talk about the history of the shop too much. Um, we joke that he's the Terminator. But uh, a couple times I've gotten glimpses into Steve's view and it's a lot of the same but it's also uh he 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 is so it's so fucking interesting to hear him talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, he he wasn't uh he didn't have anything at first but once I got him going he was just like a fountain of right. 
So, yeah, definitely. Let's get him in here and have him give his version of events. Well, happy 20th anniversary, and thanks for doing this. Thanks for talking to us about it. Yeah, man. Thanks thanks so much, you guys, for doing podcasts with me and selling comics and bagging a board and, and the whole thing, sticking around and making it awesome. Yeah. I appreciate the shit out of it. That's going to do it for us uh, for today. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please uh, subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show, if you would, on iTunes and the other places. We're all over the internet. You can check us out on Twitter and our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, its finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And yippee Kaye, motherfuckers. Hot dog time. You don't like hot dogs, Nick. I got no beef with hot dogs. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, mercy. You, you, Lyme disease and hot dogs.